Well, tonight we conclude our summer series that we have been calling the Summer in the Psalms. And after tonight, we will have studied five of the 150 Psalms of the Bible. <laughs> Which means that we could have content for the next 30 years if we wanted to. And, uh, you know, maybe we should start promoting it tonight, right? Summer in the Psalms, year 2053, I think it is, right? Uh, Who's coming? Yes. But, you know, it, it's really interesting as we think about time and how far off 30 years seems from now. Just think for a moment what can happen in the next 30 years of your life. You're like, Pastor, I do not want to think about that. But, you know, when we think about time, what is time to the God who created us? Uh, you know, these thoughts that we have about our lives, what they are in comparison to the thoughts that God has about our lives, uh, we have no clue what the next 30 years are going to be like, and yet someone does. God knows. And, and as we're going to see in this final psalm of this series, we have a God who is all-knowing, all-present, and all-powerful. So tonight we're looking at Psalm 139, so please open your Bibles there. And follow along with me as we go through this amazing Psalm of David. As you're turning to Psalm 139, I want to recommend a book to you as I've been doing each week. Uh, and my final rec recommendation to you is actually in the category of children's books. Uh, you may already know the author. Her name is Sally Lloyd-Jones. And she is the author of a wonderful children's Bible called the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, it's the Bible we actually give out to uh, families with young children here in our church. And I can't tell you how many times I have cried reading the Jesus Storybook Bible to my kids. It's, it's a wonderful translation of the Bible and, and great artwork. And, uh, but Sally Lloyd-Jones also has um, a series on the Psalms. And she has two books, in fact, on Psalm 139. One of them is called Known. And the other is called Near. And now you're thinking, now why is this guy recommending children's books to us? Well, I recommend these books because of the value that God places upon children. Because even from a mother's womb, as we'll see tonight, God has a special love and care for children. And so if you're a parent here tonight or a grandparent or even an older sibling, I pray that you would uh, know and understand that every child, even you in fact, each one of us are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. And by the way, in case you weren't aware of it, uh, the entire time that we've been studying the Psalms, so we've gone through Psalm 23, 42, 51, 73, and now tonight, 139, the children of our church have also been going through those same Psalms on Wednesday night. And so if you see one of our children's ministry volunteers tonight, why don't you just give them a special blessing of appreciation and love for all the ways that they pour into the children of our church. Because if, if you think about it, in the next 30 years, those kids are the future servants and leaders of this church. So we are investing in them today because we know that they're our future. 
All right, well, with that, let's dive into Psalm 139. And to do this, what I want to do is break up the text into four groups of verses that are going to help us understand a few things about God. So first, we're going to be looking tonight at verses 1 through 6. And what we're going to see there is that God is omniscient. And the children's book level of that is God is all-knowing. And then we're going to look at verses 7 through 12, and we're going to see that God is omnipresent. Again, the you know, kid's level of that is God is all-present. And then verses 13 through 18, we're going to see that God is omnipotent. Anyone know what that means? God is all-powerful. And then verses 19 through 24, I have a would-you-rather for you. You guys ever play would-you-rather? We, we play this game at our dinner table all the time with our kids. We present two options before them, and then they have to choose a would-you-rather. So, for instance, I was asked this week, would you rather be an astronaut or a deep-sea diver? I chose deep-sea diver. It's about deep-sea freediving. And so I might have changed my view on that. But I'll tell you about that documentary when we come to verse 9. But first... Verse 1, here it is. To the choir master, a psalm of David, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. So right there in verse 1, actually written in the original manuscript of the psalm, we see who the psalm was written to, and we see who the psalm was written by. It's not on the screen, but if you look in your Bible and you see where it says, to the choir master, a psalm of David, that's actually in the original text. So this psalm was written to the choir master, again, by King David. Now, we know who David is. He was that beloved shepherd king of Israel, uh, the second king of Israel's monarchy. He was a great military leader. He was a man that was after God's own heart. And we know that David was a very gifted musician and songwriter because most of the psalms were written by David. But then we see that it was written to the choir master. Now, who's the choir master? Well, perhaps it was a man by the name of Asaph who wrote 12 psalms of the Bible and who also served as something like a worship leader during the time of David. But the choir master could very well be God himself. And because what we're going to see is that this psalm is a prayer that David prays to the Lord. And so this psalm, what we're going to see is that it has, I think, about 50 personal pronouns, which means that this is a very intimate and personal psalm between David and the Lord. So what does David say to the Lord in verse 1? He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Notice he doesn't just say, Lord, he says, O Lord. And a little bit later, he's going to say, O God, because this is the cry of a man's heart and soul to God, a man who realizes that God is all-knowing, that, that God has this main attribute, which is that he knows everything. The theological term for that is that God is omniscient. But right, we don't want to just look at this psalm in a theological or theoretical way. This psalm is a very 
personal and relational psalm. David knows something so profoundly wonderful about his God. And it's that God sees everything and he knows everything. We see that God has searched David and God has known David. And look, if that was true for David, then it must be true for you and I. In fact, you can insert your name where it says me, and this psalm would be just as true. God knows every one of us. He he searches every one of us. And as we read some of these verses tonight, I, I want you to be thinking for yourself of all the things that you know you said and did today. Just even for a moment, like, what was, what was your day like from morning till now? What, what, what was it like? And try just, as we're contemplating, what are all the things you thought about? What are all the things you said? What are all the things you did? And, and then I want you to realize this. God knows it too. Read with me verses 2 through 5. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. What this is saying is God knows everything. God knows what time you woke up this morning. God knows what you had for breakfast. God knows whether or not you flossed today. Confession, I did not. Right? Even even though I wrote that in my sermon, I, I still didn't floss. <laughs> right? And, and right, if, if, it's, if it's... Sorry, Dr. Kawhi, if you're listening, so... Um, If it's not too crude to say it, God knows how many times you use the bathroom today, right? He knows when you sit down and when you rise up, (laughs) right? And that's weird, right? God sees everything I do. Of course he does. He's God. And do you realize that God knows every single thought you had today? Every split moment decision you made driving here to church, like when you rolled through that stop sign and you had the thought, did a police officer see me do that? (laughs) No, but God did. (laughs) And he knows the thoughts you had today when you got stuck at that light at that one intersection that you absolutely hate waiting for, right? But as Pastor Rob always likes to say, I hope you don't think of God as a traffic cop in a speed trap. If that's your view of God, something's a little bit off. You see, God knows everything you do, and God knows everything you think about. He knows all the things you love thinking about, and he knows all the things you hate thinking about. God knows all the thoughts even before they enter your mind. And before that thought makes its way from your head down to your tongue, And out of your mouth, it says there, God already knows it. And guess what? He's still there to guide you and to protect you. 
See, nothing has come into my mind or out of my mouth today that has not come without God knowing it and allowing it to happen, and he's still with me. But what about all the terrible things I think about? What about all the horrible things I say, right? Well, by God's mercy and grace, you know, we need to be working on those things. But what about all the good things you think about? And all the good things that you say. God knew, for instance, that David would write this wonderful psalm even before he wrote it. And David knew that God searched out and knew everything that David would ever think or say. And therefore, as a result, this brought shape to David's mind and mouth. (laughs) When he thought about the fact that God sees everything and knows everything. And then, when David thought about how God is all-knowing, it made David say this in verse 6. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So if you try to think about all the knowledge that God has, your head's going to start to hurt. Every writer of Scripture knew something about God. They knew that God is greater than we can know. Uh, as wonderful and as revealing as the scriptures are to us, um, there's still more knowledge that God has within himself that is simply unattainable to humanity. And yet we have a God, right, who has revealed himself to us. We have a God who wants us to know him in a personal way. But can I just tell you, one of the first places that you need to do if you want to start with knowing God is you need to know that his knowledge is too wonderful for you to grasp. His ways and his thoughts are way too high for you to even attain it. See, the prophet Isaiah said it like this in Isaiah 55, verse 8 through 9. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. Your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The Apostle Paul said it like this in Romans chapter 11, verse 33 to 36. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So God is all-knowing. And that's a little bit mind-bending to think about. But I don't want you to miss the fact that God thinks about you all the time. God knows everything, and yet he thinks about you all the time. And I mean it. I don't mean you in some sort of general, generic sense. I mean you. Kim Esparza, God thinks about you all the time. I'm grateful for that woman, by the way. Right? There's not a moment in time that God's not thinking about you. 
There's not a moment in time that God's not listening to you. There is never and there never will be a time when God does not see you and know you. Now, what sense does that truth give to you? Does God seeing and knowing all things produce a sense of comfort in you? Or does it produce a sense of fear in you? Because I also understand personally how the, the same truth of God knows you, that, that can be a comfort, but I also understand how it can be a fear. Because if God sees and knows everything, that means he sees and knows my sin. He knows all the rotten parts of me. So what can I do to hide from him? Well, let me share another attribute of God from verses 7 through 12. God is all present. Read these verses from verse 7 through 12. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, and even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. So God is everywhere. And just to clarify, not in some sort of like God's in everything kind of pantheistic sort of way, but God is, is everywhere in the sense, for instance, that God's spirit is in me because I know Jesus, and God's spirit is in you if you know Jesus. And, and God's spirit can be with or in a person who is completely on the other side of the world right now. And like Adam and Eve tried to hide themselves from God in the garden, a lot of times we try to hide ourselves from God. Or we try to run from God, but do you realize that if God is omnipresent, <laughs> you can't run from God, you can't hide from God. God is always with you. In Genesis chapter 3, 9 after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they, they, they hid from God. And God comes there in the garden, and, and he called out to man, and he said, where are you? Now, did God ask that because he didn't know where Adam and Eve were, like hide and go seek or something, <laughs> right? No, no, God already knew where Adam and Eve were, and he already knew what they had done, but Adam and Eve didn't know that God knew. Because that's what sin does to us. It makes us want to hide from God. But guess what? It's vain to try. This is especially true if you've been a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. You cannot run. You cannot hide from God. If he has called you, he knows you, and he knows where you are. So if you try to pull a Jonah, good luck. <laughs> where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? See, David right here is trying to think about the furthest possible distances he can think about. How about heaven and hell? 
Right? These are not just physical places, but these are eternal and spiritual places. And yet he says, if I ascend to heaven, you're there, God. If I make my bed in Sheol, God, you're there. And the word Sheol is a Hebrew word that means grave. And, and it's been associated with the dwelling place of the dead. Perhaps it's even an Old Testament idea of hell. But heaven and hell are, are not just ideas. These are real places where God's presence is. And, and, and like all of us have tried, David here is trying to imagine what heaven is like. And, you know, where, where is it located? But like God's knowledge and presence is too wonderful to grasp, where is this place that God dwells? And where do people go when they die? Where is the end of space? Where is the deepest sea? You know, we don't really know. Astronauts and deep sea divers have, have explored some incredible distances, but it leaves them either nagging or, or, or inspired for more. Like there, there's, there's always more, right? And so David goes on to say in verse 9, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. The wings of morning here is thought to be the morning sunrise. And when day breaks, what happens is light shines and it spreads from east to west in a moment. Light travels, we know, at 186,282 miles per second. I had to search Google to find that out. You know, but David didn't have Google. He didn't have the scientific knowledge of the speed of light, right? But, but David is saying, if I could ride with the speed of light from one horizon to another, God, you'd already be there before me. Even to dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, David knew that God would be there too. I said that I would rather be a deep sea diver than an astronaut, right? Well, that same night I answered that would you rather. I watched this documentary that's called Longest Breath. It's really interesting. It's, it's basically this pursuit of uh, these people who, to me, didn't seem to have God in their lives. But that's another thing. Um, these people who hold their breath, and on a single breath, they dive like 100 meters down into the ocean. It's crazy. Like once you get past a certain point, you actually free fall. It's really weird. Um, and it's kind of like that documentary Free Solo. Have you ever seen that one, right, where the guy climbs rocks without ropes? And yeah. What is it with these documentaries about people that just want to die? <laughs> like, they're so sad. And yet, I'm watching this and I'm realizing that there are people who always are searching for more, always pursuing more, and yet they cannot seem to find that in God. See, the unsearchable heavens and the unfathomable seas are meant to draw us to God. I, I once had this pretty personal experience with this scripture that I'd like to share with you. Um, it's personal, but I don't mind sharing it with you. But 
there was a season where I was really struggling with what I felt was this constant pressure to perform well before God and before people. Like just, I was exhausted on the inside. And, and it felt like I just, just wanted to get away. And so I, I, I tried. For, for one day, I was like, I need to get away from everyone and everything. And you know what? <laughs> I would even like to get away from God for a day. And so I went surfing, and this spot that I was at, I was alone in the water, and I was just trying to clear, like, my head and my heart and my soul just from everything, but I, I didn't know how to do that. And it was frustrating because nothing was turning off. You know what I mean? Like, you just couldn't shut off, and, 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 and I, I'm sort of a person who's a little bit introspective to a fault, right? And I just was like beating myself up, and it was really hard. And so in frustration, and because I was a little bit afraid of looking kind of crazy, um, I stuck my head underwater, and I just yelled. Like underneath the water, I just screamed as hard as I could under the water. And then this scripture came into the deepest part of me. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? Even if I yell underneath the deepest part of the sea, you're right here with me, God. God's always with you. In our best of times and in our worst of times. In our happy, in our bright days, and in our sad, in our dark days. God is with you. When we're living in the light, when we're walking in the righteousness, of course God's with you. But even when we're trying to hide in our sin and shame and the darkness, God's still with you. And you know what? Darkness is as light today, or to God, right? It's, it's like, what's darkness to God? So verses 11, 12 says, If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. So when things get dark in your life, and let's be honest, don't they get dark? When things get dark, speaking both physically and spiritually, when things get dark, God still sees and knows, and he is present with you. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. He sees in the secret place. And that's either a very comforting truth to know, or that can also be a fearful truth to know. It just depends on where you're at in your relationship with God. And we may go through times when we want to be as far away as we could possibly be from God, but he's not going anywhere because God is all present. I love that song we sang. It's like, you know, kicking down walls. <laughs> the, the reckless love of God, he's going to chase after you. All right, well, now we're going to look at our third group of verses, and we're going to see a third and final attribute of God. The third is that God is omnipotent, meaning God is all-powerful. Look at verses 13 through 18. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. 
I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Wow, these are some beautiful words, aren't they? On a whole lot of levels. And they speak to us about how God is all-powerful. He's so powerful that he created human life. And David understood that God is his maker, the one who fashioned him with life. And God created David, and he created David with design and purpose and plans. And verse 13 says, For you formed me, you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. David didn't have the medical technology and terminology that we have today to see what goes on inside of a mother's womb as she's growing a human life within her, right? But he understood that at the moment of conception, God was powerfully and miraculously working to form the inward parts of a human child. David knew enough about human development to know that from sex to conception, through pregnancy to delivery, and with the raising of a child, God creates life. Right? And we're to praise God for it. We praise God because each and every human being Born and unborn is fearfully and wonderfully made. To be a human being begins at the moment of conception inside a mother's womb. God has designed it to be this way. He says that here in his word, that a child being formed inside a woman's body is a frame that is not hidden from God. God is intricately weaving the cells of a human from what is unformed into what is formed. Therefore, God knew David when he was the size of a pea, when he was the size of a strawberry, and an apple, and a squash, right? Isn't it funny how we measure babies' growth by food sizes? I don't quite get it. But God is the one at work as he grows a baby boy or a baby girl from conception to birth. God's working. The heart, lungs, bones, eyes, ears, fingers, toes, hair, nails are all fearfully and wonderfully developing in a woman as God is powerfully creating life. Is that how you see human life? Because that is how God sees human life. Verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, 
when as yet there was none of them. My friends, this is why we believe it is so important that people understand that abortion is a disregard for life. And it is a violation and an interruption of God's creation and law. This is the psalm that we ought to be praying for those who don't see life in this way. Because there are those who don't see life the way God sees life. And it's heart-wrenching to think about, isn't it? But God thinks about it all the time. And God sees and knows every single baby that does not live beyond the womb. And he sees and knows every single mother who has had a child die in her womb. And because I know that God is an all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful God, and because I know that God is gracious and merciful, any child that does not live beyond the womb or dies in the early years outside of the womb, God brings those children to be with him where he is. God will not and cannot disregard life. He does not violate his creation, and neither should we. Neither should we. So based on this psalm, what we can say is that God knows the day of our birth, and he knows the day of our death, even before they happen. He knows us completely. We can say God knows us better than we know ourselves. He has known us from eternity past, and he will know us for eternity future. So can you say with David, my soul knows it very well? And this is a lot for us to think about. And this is stuff that we should think about because it is true that life is much bigger than today. With all the thoughts and words and actions of your day, maybe it felt like a really big day in like a good way or in a bad way. You maybe just had a day, right? But when we measure our days up to this, it's very humbling, isn't it? Because if you really want to experience something quite humbling, next time you go to the beach, I want you to take a handful of sand and I want you to think about this truth from Psalm 139, verse 17 through 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. And it's a powerful reminder, right, to think about how powerful our God is. And, and, and with all of that power, how he is always thinking about us and how he's always with us and his thoughts and plans for us are good. And he has thoughts for us that span from eternity past to eternity future. And his thoughts for us are precious and vast. It says they are more than all the pieces of sand on the earth. And with Honestly, with the amount of sand that's in my car right now, <laughs> just from taking my kids to the beach, the amount of sand that's in my car right now, I don't think I've come anywhere close to thinking about God that much today. 
And then I realize that I have a God who has thought about me more than all the sand on the beach. And I'm so humbled and I'm so grateful for that. David believed in God. He believed that God is all-knowing, all-present, and all-powerful. Is that the God that you believe in? All right, well, I said I would end with a would-you-rather. So here's the would-you-rather. Would you rather have God slay you, or would you rather have God search you? I love her face. I, was just, I wouldn't want God to slay me. Would you rather have God slay you or have God search you? Option number one, would you rather have God slay you? Verse 19 to 22. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them my enemies. You're like, is that in my Bible? That's in your Bible. Option number two. Would you rather have God search you? Verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So this is where I said that this psalm can either be a comforting or a fearful psalm. Right? For the one who says in their heart, there's no God. What do you mean a God that knows everything and is everywhere and is all-powerful? There's no God. See, the one who lives and does whatever seems right to them, the one who has no regard for God in their thoughts, no regard for his creation or his laws, the person who sheds innocent blood and scoffs at God and his people, they speak against God with malicious intent, they take God's name in vain, they hate God, they rise up against God and they're counted as enemies of him. God is going to slay those people. <laughs> and David prays, God, would you slay them? Right? And this part feels a bit like Psalm 73, doesn't it? So we looked at last week. And it was okay for David to pray like that to God. But, but notice that he allowed God to be the one to take vengeance. And that is so good that we let God be the one to take vengeance. Because we know that he slayed his only begotten son so that you can live. He knows those who will be saved, and God knows those who will be slayed. So would you rather be saved or slayed? You know, well, you know. <laughs> if God already knows I'm going to be saved... Or, or if he already knows I'm going to be slayed, well then, what use is there to decide about it, right? Is that really how you want to approach God? Instead, why don't you take a page out of David's playbook and pray like this? Because there is another option. Wouldn't you rather have God search you? 
Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. Because David knew that he had sin. Remember Psalm 51? And lead me in the way everlasting. So instead of being a man or woman of blood, you can regard life as precious and sacred. Instead of speaking against God with malicious intent, you can tell him how wonderful he is. Instead of taking God's name in vain, you can praise his name because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Instead of hating God, you can love God. Rather than rising up against God, you can be brought low before God. So why don't you allow God's mighty right hand to guide you and protect you? So like David understood, we ought to understand that it is much better to be a friend of God than to be an enemy of God. And, and do you know God in this way, the way that David knew his God? Because right before Jesus, the Son of God, who is slayed on a cross for our sins, as a sacrificial atoning death for our sins, Jesus said, there is no greater love than this than for a friend to lay down his life for a friend. And Jesus said, I have called you friend. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Have you been reconciled to God in this way through Jesus Christ? Today, you can know God in this way. You can know Jesus, and you can be known by Jesus. So the question remains, would you rather have God slay you, or would you rather have God search you? I, I know what I've chosen. Deep sea diver, right? <laughs> and I want God to search me and know me. And if you want that too, then why don't you pray with me right now this same prayer that David prayed, just right there in your heart. Let's all, anyone who wants to say this prayer, say it for yourself. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite the worship team up. Amen. Well, that last prayer, the whole prayer is really a prayer that you can pray always. It's a prayer that is to our all-knowing, all-presence, all-powerful God. And God wants to search you. God wants to know you tonight. And tonight we are going to have some people here on the sides to pray with you, but we're going to close in a time of worship knowing that God loves us, God thinks about us, and he's with us. He's with us right here, right now, and um, he's worthy of our praise. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's all stand up together and worship the Lord.